Welcome to Books and Authors with Carrie Barber, the podcast where we talk to authors about their new books. I'm your host, Carrie Barber. This episode of the podcast continues a special series in which I talk to people in the book business who are not writers. So far, you've heard from a book critic and a publicist, and today, a literary agent. Julie Bearer, that's B-A-R-E-R, is a literary agent in Manhattan, a founding partner of the book group. She represents a wide variety of writers, and she specializes in fiction. Her clients have been New York Times bestsellers and won prizes such as the Penn Hemingway and the Orange Prize. She has agreed to give us a look inside her world of agenting, and I'm so happy to have her on Books and Authors. I started by asking her about the very fundamentals of her job. Julie Bearer, you are a literary agent. Tell us, what does that mean? What does your job entail? That's a great question. (laughs) Um, It entails a lot of really exciting parts of the publishing process. So um, probably the first step that people think about is that I look for new writers and new projects to represent. That means I read... um, probably about 100 or so query letters that come in over what we call the transom every week. That's just unsolicited emails into our submissions inbox, um, as well as various referrals from existing clients, um, friends, writers that I know, professors at MFA programs, and look for uh, work that excites me. Um, So the first step is that an agent does is to sign up a manuscript, a novel, a short story collection. My list is about 98% fiction, so it's usually either a novel or a short story collection, although occasionally a memoir or narrative nonfiction. And my first job is to help the author edit that manuscript uh, and revise it until it's in the best possible shape I can help them get it into. I believe in that revision process. It's part of what's so much fun about my job. I got into the business because I loved editing, and I think it's one of the strengths that I bring to the table. And I also think in this incredibly competitive marketplace, it's really important to get your manuscript as polished as possible before it goes out on submission to editors. And then you also, of course, the other part of your job is is cutting the deals, right, with the with the edit with the publishing house. Yeah, certainly. So I submit the manuscript to editors at publishing imprints that I think will be a good fit for the author, both in terms of being able to do a great job publishing that particular book and also editors who will have a good fit editorially and personally with the author because the hope is that you would stay with that editor in that house for more than one project and you really want to make sure that um, it's a good relationship. Then uh, once we find the right publisher and sometimes an auction is involved, uh, I negotiate the deal points, the contract. And it's funny, I think a lot of people's perception is that the agent's job sort of ends there, but that's really just the beginning. I see an agent's role as sort of your um, <laughs> your consigliere, if you will, <laughs> along with the whole process and your go-between between you and your publisher and your editor. I'm there to help keep the author informed and educated and Sometimes that means playing shrink um, and managing expectations, and sometimes that means playing mom, and sometimes that means playing tough guy with the editor or the publisher, so that the author can have a really positive experience with their editor 
and I can use my experience in the marketplace to help them look at things like jacket copy and cover art and author photos and their website and um, help them place excerpts or for serial or essays, help them think about, you know, their the big picture of who they want to present to the world. All of that is part of what I see as the agent's role, all the way through the um, process of getting the book out into the world, published, and, and beyond, thinking about paperback, thinking about what you're going to do next. I mean, it, it kind of keeps going and going, which is part of the joy of the job. That's fantastic. That's such a good summary. And I want to kind of get dig into some of those things a little bit later. But first, I just wanted to ask you, what it, sort of what is your background and what, how did you come to be an agent? It's funny because there's really no official training. <laughs> um, and occasionally I get asked, you know, what, what qualifies you for this job? And my answer is absolutely nothing. <laughs> I, I got my start at a bookstore, at a wonderful independent bookstore in Manhattan uh, called Shakespeare and Company, where I worked as a bookseller and um, really fell in love with the process of hand selling books to people. I think for a lot of us in the industry, we forget what it's like. You know, I can walk into a bookstore and have no problem picking out something to read. I, I've, I'm very educated about the landscape. I know my taste. I have no fear about taking chances on new writers. Um, I recognize imprints or blurbs. But a lot of people walk into a bookstore and feel really paralyzed and have no idea what to buy. And that's why wonderful, dedicated, independent booksellers are um, are so valuable in our industry. And I really enjoyed the role of being able to put books into people's hands and have them come back again and say, I really love that, or that wasn't really my cup of tea. What else do you recommend? And I wanted to be part of that experience, but even earlier in a book's life. And uh, I had always loved to edit my friend's work. And a couple of people had suggested um, publishing to me and editorial specifically, but I very luckily had a family friend who, who suggested I try the agency side. And at the time, I had no idea what agents did or who they were, but I think it was maybe like my third day at my first job that I sort of felt like, yes, this is it. This is what I was put on this earth to do. I know you You said you have a real specialty in fiction. Can you talk a bit about that? How did you come to that, and how is it going? Do you ever wish you had more nonfiction on your list, or can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. I really am a huge fiction reader, and I think that part of the experience of starting my own agency 10 years ago, going out on my own um, and trying to figure out my place in the marketplace where there are a lot of agencies and a lot of agents, was to really figure out what my strengths were. And the truth is, I'm just, I, I just have a feel for fiction that I don't always have for nonfiction. And a big piece of that is about editorial vision. So I know I'm falling in love with a novel when I start editing it in my head as I'm reading it. And I feel like it's, it's usually more natural for me to be able to see the direction and shape and strengths and weaknesses of fiction, the nonfiction. The nonfiction I tend to like reads like a novel, often it's a memoir, or is very narrative driven. And I think, you know, the thing that I love about doing fiction is it's what I read the most of, um, and I think I'm good at it. I, I am very selective about the nonfiction I take on in part because I just want to be sure that I'm the right person for it. 
And so I tend to pick nonfiction that, like I said, is voice driven and just either I respond to because of the voice or because the subject matter is so powerful. I think that the market for fiction is really exciting. I I think that um, for every one of the almost 16 years that I've been in publishing, we can say times are tough, times are good, it's up, it's down, it's um, cyclical. I mean, that's just the nature of the business. I don't think people are going to stop reading. That's what keeps me coming to the office every day. And yeah, I want to ask you a little bit more about the business later too, but what is there something that you see in a query letter or a bio that's a green flag or what is there something you see that's a red flag or is it all just kind of going by the gut? It's really gut driven. I'm a big believer in 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 stories can come from anywhere and some of my greatest critical and commercial successes are writers who have come to me in the slush pile uh, with little or no formal training. So I, I'm, I don't believe that you have to come out of an MFA program or that you have to be young or that you have to have been doing this for 10 years. So I, I try to be kind of open to anything. For me, a lot of it is about the story. You know, does that sound new and interesting and original? I'm always looking for voices that we haven't heard from before or especially stories from places around the world um, or communities that we haven't heard as much of. So I'm particularly drawn to international fiction in that way. And, and, and that's, you know, sort of for the same reason that I'm really interested in historical fiction. I love learning something when I read a novel. So it was part of what drew me to Madeline Miller's The Song of Achilles was, oh, the Iliad. That sounds fascinating. I've always sort of wanted to know more about that. Or um, a novel that I sold earlier this year to Katie Adams at Liverite, which is an imprint at Norton, by a debut writer named Nicole Dennis-Ben, set in Jamaica, which was a place that I really was curious about and wanted to know more about. And I've represented novels that were um, set in Sri Lanka during the Civil War. That's Rue Freeman's on Salma Lane or set um, in Kenya in the 1920s. That's Paula McLean's forthcoming novel, Circling the Sun. I just, I find it fascinating when I get to learn about a new place or a perspective that I haven't read about before. So that definitely jumps out at me in a query letter. Do you see any current trends these days in fiction? I'm really anti-trend. I'm anti-trend. It doesn't work. Because the truth is, by the time you read, you see those books coming out, you know, those books have been in the work for works for a year, year and a half. I think one great misconception is that you sell your novel and it's, you know, it's out six months later. But it's a long process, 12 to 18 months from usually when we sell the book uh, till you do another round of revisions with your editor. The book goes into production and copy editing Our goal is to get advanced copies, you know, in galleys or ARES out to magazines, long lead magazines and reviewers six months before the publication process. And then it depends the month and the season on what else that publisher has coming out, what feels like the right fit in terms of timing. So, you know, to anticipate a trend, it's just impossible, I think. And I think if you look back at those books that started trends, they're, they're never ones you would have predicted, you know? You never could have seen them coming. I'm sure you've seen the publishing business change a lot in your years. 
where do you, this is another long, complex question, but where do you think we are and what is your prognosis? Can you talk a bit about what do you think of ebooks, audiobooks, you know, all the different media that's, that's cropping up these days? I'm excited about the new mediums that we have seen in the last couple of years and may see in the future because I just think anything that brings new readers to the table is a good thing. I don't care how you like to read your book. If you like to read it on a Kindle, that's great for you. If you like to listen to it on an audio, you know, CD or a podcast in your car while you're working to work, walking to work, that's great too. Like I just want people to be enjoying books. It's not my business how they enjoy them. So I think, will there be more technological developments? That's not a strength of mine in terms of predicting technology, but maybe, and, and hopefully, you know, they'll be as interesting as the ones we've had so far. I think that anything that gives people an opportunity to experience literature is a good thing. And you recently formed a new agency, didn't you, from going solo to being part of a new agency? Can you talk a little bit about that and how is that different? Absolutely. I had my own agency for 10 years. Uh, I started Bear Literary after leaving Sanford Greenberger Associates at the end of 2004, where I'd started my career, and, and greatly enjoyed running my own business. But I had three uh, colleagues, Faye Bender and Brittany Bloom and Elizabeth Weed, who I've known since my days as an assistant, so back when we all started in the business in 1999. We've been friends. We've been office mates, sharing office space. We've been, you know, supporters of each other, um, cheerleaders there when we need each other in good times and bad. And for a variety of reasons, we started to think over um, the last year about what it would look like to join forces and come together and have a little strength in numbers, um, bring our very exciting lists together. I think that we each have a little bit of a, we have a lot of crossover, um, but we each bring a little bit of a specialty. It was really exciting to take my list of about 40, 45 clients of mostly fiction and bring it together with their lists so that we now represent close to 150 writers of all varieties, and that's Pulitzer finalists and National Book Award winners and children's writers and celebrated YA novelists and cookbook authors. Um, We kind of now cover the gamut, which is really exciting, and are able to sort of offer the same support that we've always given each other, but kind of in a more official way, which is exciting. That is exciting. What's the name of the new agency? We are the book group. Do you have any advice for aspiring agents? That's a good question. I think that one great piece of advice I got when I started out was it's obvious and it's the same piece of advice I give to aspiring writers, but that is to read and read widely. You know, sometimes you can come into the business and have a very specific, small kind of niche of things you like to read, and it's really important to expand your horizons. And that means look at the bestseller list and understand, you know, what those books are and and think about why they're on the bestseller list. Read outside a, a comfort zone, a genre. I remember that Susan Camel uh, from Random House, when I was early, early days in my career as an assistant, 
gave me a copy of George R. R. Martin's book, Game of Thrones, and said, if you really want to understand um, pacing and narrative structure, this is a great book to start with. And, you know, the sort of literary fiction snob in me was like, huh? And then I read it, and I, I mean, I practically took a sick day to stay home and <laughs> read the first three. Um, and it was a great lesson to me. I remember I wasn't a big nonfiction reader, and my first boss, Teresa Park, who's an incredible agent, um, gave me Seabiscuit, and I was like, I don't want to read a nonfiction book about horses. And then I read it, and I was like, oh my God, this is the greatest nonfiction book I've ever read about horses or anything else. And, and that's an understanding that there are books outside of your view that you've normally had is, is really helpful because you might discover something that you're interested in or have a strength in that you didn't know before. But I also think understanding the marketplace is incredibly important. Are there any conferences or events that you would recommend for either for writers or for other book professionals, your colleagues? Is there anywhere that you feel like, oh, I really have to get to that every year because I really get get some good info there? Absolutely. There are several wonderful ones. And God, I wish I could get to each one of them every year. I started, the first conference I ever started going to was the Squaw Valley Writers Conference. And that's a wonderful one out on the West Coast. I'm a huge fan also on the West Coast of Tin House Writers Workshop that takes place at Reed's College Campus and it's run by the literary magazine Tin House. Another literary magazine that's near and dear to my heart is One Story. They have a great conference that takes place during the summer. I love Bread Loaf. That's two weeks in Vermont at the Middlebury campus. That's also an extraordinary one. I'm going for the first time this summer to the Swanee Writers Conference, which I am incredibly excited about. That takes place in Swanee, Tennessee. I'm sure I am forgetting... Oh, Grub Street does an amazing conference in Boston. That's the Muse and Marketplace. That usually takes place during the spring, and that's just such a great series of events and workshops, um, and they are a great resource all year long. There's so many that are great. I'm sure there are ones that aren't even on my radar. Um, that's just a small sampling, but that's why a, a resource like Poets and Writers is so valuable, because if you're looking at that magazine and it comes out quarterly, you're, you know, you're keeping up to date on, um, on the conferences that take place all year long. And I think no matter where they are or, you know, what glamorous or unglamorous location um, they may take place, it's a great opportunity to meet other writers, uh, to meet agents, to meet editors, to hear professionals talk about the different parts of the industry, and just to be around people who who care about books and who care about writing. That's great. How about, how do you feel about social media? How do you use it? Do you ever take queries on it or do you use it professionally or just kind of tangentially to your work? I like social media personally for, I, I personally like it, but I don't think it's everybody's medium and I am not going to force a writer who doesn't feel comfortable to get onto Twitter or Instagram. I, I do think it can be a huge time suck. <laughs> and I, I don't think it's the best use of an author's time until after they've finished a manuscript. I know a lot of writers who worry about building up their social media platforms. And my advice is always finish the book, get the book in the best possible shape it can be, and then we can talk about promoting it. I like using our Twitter account and our Instagram account to promote events, 
to um, introduce, you know, new writers to the world, to connect with readers, writers, booksellers. We, um, you know, we love to take pictures when final books come in or when a jacket is revealed or a blurb has come in. We tweet reviews. We tweet events. I think it's a great way to spread the word. Um, I think it can also be distracting. I'm not comfortable taking queries that way. Um, we really prefer that people use our submissions email account. And, and again, I think it's not for everyone. And what do you wish you were doing more of in your work life and less of? I wish I had unlimited time to read. <laughs> I wish there was just an extra three or four hours a day where I could spend in my office with the door shut and email off just reading and editing. I think that there is just a lot of time spent thinking about how to reach, in conjunction with a publisher, thinking about how to reach the audience. There's so many books published now, and it's really important to um, get the jacket just right and the copy just right and think really thoughtfully about the marketing plan. And I find that stuff interesting and fun, but it does take time away from the first part of the job I love, which is reading and editing. That's great. Well, we are going to wrap it up there. And Julie Bearer, I want to thank you so much for coming on Books and Authors. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Again, that was Julie Bearer, B-A-R-E-R. She's a literary agent with The Book Group in Manhattan. This is one installment in a special series in which I talk with people in the book world other than authors. If you like this show, please subscribe to it on iTunes and leave a review. It helps a lot. And don't forget to spread the word to your book-loving friends. I'm your host, Carrie Barber. Thanks for listening to Books and Authors.